This episode of The Transmission is brought to you by Audible.com, the leader in spoken word entertainment. Get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today. For details, go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. The Transmission, episode 62, May 10th, 2009. Ben, I'd appreciate it if you'd join us. What, John, don't you trust me here with my former people? Afraid I'll stage a coup? I'm not afraid of anything you can do anymore, Ben. Well, in that case, I'd love to come. Aloha from the Island Lost fans. You are tuned into the transmission. This is a podcast devoted to the show Lost on ABC. My name is Jen. And I'm Ryan. And we're here, well, first of all, to say happy Mother's Day to Jen. Thank you. All right. And also to discuss the penultimate episode of Lost. Yes, penultimate is everyone's favorite word this week. It is the next to the last episode of season five, Follow the Leader. And here's how we're going to break it down. We'll recap the episode in eight minutes or less. Then we're going to take a look at it in greater detail. We'll hear from you all everybody in our feedback segment and then we'll skip through the shortest forward cabin ever and uh well you ready let's get lost So we spend some time in the 70s and in the present. Let's start in the past. In 1977, we see Faraday storm into the hostiles camp and Kate says he's crazy. Jack suggests that the reason that they're there is to put things back the way they're supposed to be. Faraday is shot and Kate and Jack are captured by Widmore. Eloise is flipping through Daniel's notebook and pauses on her own handwriting. Widmore brings Jack and Kate into the camp and Eloise tells him to put them in her tent. Widmore asks Eloise why the Dharma Initiative has apparently declared war, but Eloise says they're not from the Dharma Initiative. Jack explains to Kate that if they can do what Daniel said, Flight 815 doesn't crash and everyone they lost on the island would be alive. All the misery they'd been through would be wiped clean. Kate said it wasn't all misery, but Jack says enough of it was. Eloise comes in and asks why Daniel wanted the bomb. She explains that she saw him when she was 17, and back then Daniel told him told them to bury it. Then he disappeared. She says, now I shot that man in the back, and before he died, he told me that he was my son. Explain to me, and I promise I'll believe you. Jack says he knows it was an accident and that there's a way to take it all back. She says she'll take him to the bomb, which is under the Dharma Initiative Village. She thinks Jack and Kate can get them in, but Jack says it's a bit more complicated than that. Mm. Rosinski, meanwhile, is interrogating Sawyer and Juliet. Horace tries to stop him, but Rosinski says that he's in charge. He asks where Kate is, but Sawyer won't talk. Juliet says they've known each other for three years and that they're not bad people, but Sawyer tells her to stop, that they're only going to hurt more people. Phil says he can make Sawyer talk and hits Juliet. Sawyer growls that he'll kill him. A man comes in and says they can't find Miles or Jin and that the last submarine manifest had three last-minute add-ons. Jack... Kate and some guy named Hugo Reyes. Phil says he's the fat guy. We see Hurley packing some food and he walks into the forest to meet Miles and Jin. He asks how they're going to rescue Sawyer and Juliet, but Miles says that they can't. Suddenly, Dr. Chang shows up. He asks if what Daniel said was true and that they're from the future. Hurley says, that's ridiculous. 
Dr. Chang asks Hurley when he was born, whether he fought in the Korean War, and who the president is. Hurley can't answer any of those and admits they're from the future after all. Dr. Chang says Daniel spoke of a massive accident and that they should evacuate. Miles says he's been right about everything so far. Meanwhile, Eloise says to untie Jack and Kate, and she tells Widmore her plan. He says that she shouldn't go in her condition. Jack asks who Eloise is talking to, and Albert says that he's Charles Widmore. He says he and Eloise are, well, let's just say, love can be complicated. Dr. Chang arrives at the security station calling for an evacuation and saying that the drilling in the Swan will cause an accident. Rudzinski says they're going to drill anyway. Sawyer says Dr. Chang is right and that they should put the women and children on the sub. And if they put him and Juliet on the sub, he will talk. Albert, Eloise, Jack, and Kate arrive at a pond and Eloise says they need to swim under it. Kate says she's not going and tries to leave. One of Albert's men tries to stop her and we hear a gunshot, but it's the man who was shot and Saeed appears. Jack tells Saeed he wants to change things, erase things, and Saeed says he already tried by killing Ben. Kate says, well, you didn't kill him. We took him to the others to save him. Saeed asks why, and Kate says, since when did shooting kids and blowing up hydrogen bombs become okay? Kate says if Jack's wrong, everyone dies. Jack says he's not wrong and that this is their destiny. Kate says that Jack sounds like Locke and that he was crazy. Jack said so himself. Jack says, well, maybe I was wrong. Kate says she is going back because if she can't stop him, maybe they can. Hurley, Jin, and Miles watch the sub being loaded. Charlotte and her mom arrive, as does Dr. Chang, Mrs. Chang, and baby Miles. Hurley says Sawyer always has a plan. Sawyer says good riddance to the island and follows Juliet into the sub. He tells Juliet that they're free when they get back to the real world, and she says she doesn't even know what real world means anymore. They say they love each other just as Kate is brought onto the sub as well. The sub gets underway and dives below the water. Back beneath Othersville, Jack and Saeed follow Eloise and Alpert to Jughead. Saeed asks why Jack trusts Eloise, who's interested in destroying the Dharma Initiative. Jack says he trusts her because she got them back to the island. They reach a large chamber. Eloise uncovers Jughead and asks, well, now what? Jumping ahead 30 years to 2007, we see Richard working on a model of a ship in a bottle when Locke arrives with dinner. Albert asks where Locke has been for the last three years, and Locke says he'll explain on the way. They have an errand to run, and there isn't much time. Albert says there's something different about Locke, and Locke says, I have a purpose now. Ben and Son arrive, and Richard asks why Ben is there. Locke says he helped him get back. Son asks Ben why Locke called everyone there his people, and Ben explains that Locke stepped in when he left. He also says that Alpert is their advisor, and he's had the job for a very, very long time. So Son walks up to Alpert with the photo from 1977 and asks Alpert if he was on the island then and if he recognizes Jack, Kate, Hugo, or her husband, Jin. Alpert says he was there 30 years ago, and he does remember them very clearly because he watched them all die. Son asks Locke if what Albert says is true, but Locke says he doesn't think they went through everything for nothing. He tells her, tells her that if there's any way to save our people, he'll find it. Locke gets the compass back from Alpert and asks Ben to come along. Ben asks if Locke's afraid that he'll stage a coup while he's gone, but Locke says he's not afraid of anything Ben does anymore. Locke tells Albert he'll soon see where Locke disappeared to, and after that, they're going to go see Jacob. Albert says that's not how it works, but Locke points out that he's the leader now. They get to the drug plane, and Locke says that a man will come out of the jungle shot in the leg. He says Alpert will have to get the 
bullet out and tell him that he has to bring everyone back to the island. And when the man asks how, Locke tells Alpert to tell him he'll have to die. Soon enough, the man appears. Ben asks who the man is, and Locke says, me. So we see the scene from earlier in the season, and as Ben and Locke watch from a distance, Ben asks how Locke knew when to be there. Locke says that the island told him and asks Ben if the island told him anything. Ben says no, but points out that the island hasn't told him where Jacob is. Locke tells Ben that he's never even seen him. Time jumping Locke disappears and Alpert returns. Ben asks where he went and Locke says he went to give Richard his compass back. Alpert tells Locke that he seemed pretty convinced, especially when he said he had to die. He says he's glad that that didn't have to happen, but Locke says, well, actually, Richard, it did. Locke, Ben, and Alpert arrive back at the other's beach camp and Locke tells everyone that they've all been taking orders from a man named Jacob, but no one has ever seen him. So he invites them all to go and see him right now. Alpert tells Ben he thinks Locke Locke is going to be trouble, and Ben says, well, why do you think I tried to kill him? They begin their trek, and Ben tells Locke that Richard has some concerns about his plans. Locke th- thanks Ben for telling him, and Ben says that despite their differences, he's there to follow him and help him reunite his people. Locke says he's not interested in that, despite what he told Son. Ben asks why they're going to go see Jacob, and Locke says, so I can kill him. And And thud. thud. And that's Follow the Leader in under eight minutes. And when we return, we'll look at it in greater detail. can't wait to share our thoughts on follow the leader and get to yours and you all everybody but first we just like to let you know that today's podcast is brought to you by audible.com the leading provider in spoken word entertainment audible has over 50,000 titles to choose from to be downloaded and played back anywhere just like the transmission and thanks to audible.com you can get a free audiobook download of your choice when you sign up today if you've always wanted to read the many many books mentioned on lost audible.com is a great way to go For example, you can pick up Lord of the Flies by William Golding, which is narrated by the author himself. Yes, absolutely. Now, of course, this book has actually been mentioned in the show many times. Both Sawyer and Charlie describe the behavior of other people on the island as going all Lord of the Flies. And there's actually a scene in Numbers where Hurley finds a fly-covered boar hanging from a tree in the jungle. Which echoes a scene in the book. Absolutely. The book has a wild boar, several wild boars, and a mysterious monster. So I think there's a lot in common there. Yeah, and... Actually, a lot of the characters kind of echo some of the things you see in the book also. Absolutely. So you can make that book your free pick with this offer. Just go to audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. That's audiblepodcast.com slash transmission. So this was Follow the Leader, the episode that comes before the season finale. And as we've seen in seasons past, unfortunately, this episode is usually the doormat and is generally not really a strong episode. Does that follow here? How was follow the leader to you i liked it i thought it took all of the things that we've seen and needed to know more about and wove them together in a way that really kept my attention and i it I don't know. The hour went really fast for me. I agree. I agree. It seemed when it ended that, wait a minute, there should be more there. And I guess in many ways, that's exactly what an episode before the finale is supposed to do. But standing on its own, I thought it was pretty strong as well. I really enjoyed it. A lot of good character moments, a lot of good uh, plot movement. I mean, certainly it is putting the chess pieces on the board right before the checkmate. And we can see very clearly that that's happening. Tensions are building. um, Countdowns are in place. But on, on many, many levels, I had a really good time with it. 
And, you know, I mean, there were a couple of big, you know, open your eyes moment. One, uh, Albert says, I watched them all die. And the other, of course, is Locke's big plan to kill Jacob. So yeah. what did you think about uh, Albert's memory of everyone dying, all of our friends? Well, here's what I think. Um, and actually, a couple people mentioned this in the forward cabin. But I think he, he might see them disappear and not die. I think what... I think he's um, interpreting what he sees as, as death or, you know, I could be completely right. wrong. Right. Well, I think that could be it, except it wouldn't be just disappearing, certainly because now we've seen that Albert in his lifetime has has seen people disappear. So it's got to be something a little bit more than that. Is it Jughead going off? Is it a large explosion, possibly, that could make him interpret that? And you're right. Many of our listeners did imply or suggest that uh, whatever the incident is, it looks like massive death, but it's really something that puts our losties back in their correct timeline. So right. I can see that. That that could be what it is. It would be really fascinating to me, though, if they all died. Well, we're not <laughs> expecting that, are we? I know. Now that we're all sitting around expecting them to blow our minds, pretty much everything's on the table. Nothing is off the table. It could be anything. But uh, now Locke wants to kill Jacob. Why is that? And how do you think that's going to go? I don't know. I'm thinking maybe he means it in a more symbolic way. I'm right now. Right now, I'm not really picturing Jacob as a real person, and you know, you can't kill a real person. So I think maybe his gesture is symbolic and in a way to finally. Um, unseat Ben for good as a leader. Oh, right. Absolutely. That this is that I've come to realize that this is just a construct that you've built this name that you've uh, put in front of us to say is our leader, but I'm pretty sure he doesn't exist. So when I say I'm going to go kill him, it's I'm going to pull away the curtain and show you that there's nothing there. Exactly. Um, Many Wizard of Oz possible references. We have a great call on that. Um, So that could be one way to to go about it. uh, A lot of people have the theory, though, that when he does go to see Jacob and he's about to kill him, that we realize Jacob is somebody significant, that Jacob is Jack, that Jacob is Locke, or that Jacob is someone else that has been actually important, something that causes Locke to freeze up and and suddenly realize, despite the fact that he's now back on the island and fully resolute in what he's going to do, his mind is still going to be blown, something is going to still pull the rug out from under him to stop him from doing that. Was that a creepy scene, though? I mean, when he says he's going to kill Jacob, he's so, he's so cheerful about it. Didn't you just... I got like a shiver thinking about how how just gleeful he is about what he's going to do. Well, I mean, certainly there's a lot of moments in this episode where both Ben and Alpert are kind of like, what the heck? Or, you know, uh-huh. what is going on? We don't understand, which is an unusual position for the two of them. And as far as, you know, character moments in this episode go, I, that's one of the ones that stood out for me that, you know, clearly the relationship between Ben and Alpert has been not that smooth. And we were given hints back in season three that Alpert was actually undermining Ben's leadership and mm-hmm. probably wanted Ben to be tossed off the island at some point. But here we see them suddenly kind of possibly having an enemy in common. And, you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Right. And uh, I think this guy's going to be trouble. So you can sense a kind of camaraderie there, kind of a familiarity there because they've spent time together on the island. And I kind of, I, I really felt that both Nestor Carbonell and Michael Emerson um, played off each other. They had a good chemistry this week. Yeah, yeah, they did. So I guess the elephant in the room is whether or not they're actually going to detonate Jughead. Yeah, that's still the big question since the bomb was probably first introduced way back in Jughead. And uh, I'm still kind of on the fence as to whether or not it's going to happen. The more that it gets built up, the more that my ridiculous notion last week that possibly the thing that blows our mind is that it doesn't. I still think that could be a possibility. And my number one piece of evidence now comes in this episode. And that's that we learned that Jughead isn't encased in concrete somewhere off in the middle of nowhere. We learned that Jughead is sitting right underneath 
Othersville. Right. And, well, Othersville is still there in 2004 and 2007, the same cabins, the same configuration. So if Jughead went off and blasted a big hole in the island, why could that, how could those things still be there if this Yeah, it doesn't look like it's the easiest thing in the world to move either. No, no. So whether, uh, the, the only key, though, is if blowing the jughead is something that hasn't happened before and they are actually changing the timeline then my so-called evidence doesn't hold up but uh yeah i'm still what do you think jughead blows or jughead does not blow next week i think it blows but it's not going to work exactly the way jack thinks it's going to work meaning it's not going to change anything it's not going to it's not going to reset a timeline. It's just going to cause a whole bunch of destruction. Right. And I think that's pretty much the consensus, especially among those on our blog, that we've been, even, <laughs> despite the fact that uh, Faraday changed his mind in that last episode and decided he could change everything, even in that episode, they proved that he wasn't. So the lesson still has to be that whatever happened, happened. Right. Exactly. Um, so Jack is pretty resolute on this. He's really mm-hmm. taking charge. Yeah. What, Kate's like, I'm, I'm out of here, dude. What flipped the switch for Jack? Because for the last few episodes, He's been very zen. He's been very uh, whatever. And so something had to go off in his head to make him think that this was the right thing to do. What what do you think that was? Last week he lectured uh, Kate about your moment's not here. And it sounded at that time that that Jack's moment was still coming. But it it seems that basically the ball is rolling. The momentum is there. And Jack is indeed um, heading toward his date with destiny. But I was really thinking that whatever it was that finally switched him on was going to be a real pivotal moment, a real... Uh, shocking thing that comes into his head and, and turns him on um, but it, it I haven't seen that I do not no. know exactly what it is that got him going uh, except perhaps I guess the moment that Faraday is shot when first Jack thinks he's there to support Faraday's plan but now that Faraday's dead he figures at that moment that it's up to him if anything's going to happen yeah that could be it um, and so it, it seems like he is turning into Locke a little bit like Kate says mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he's uh, he's he knows he's fully confident that what is his plan is the plan that will save the universe, basically. And Kate is kind of turning into Jack. She's the skeptic now. She's she's talking him down or attempting to talk him down. Yeah, I mean, that whole line about uh, since when is shooting kids and blowing up hydrogen bombs a good or okay thing to do? I mean, she she's the voice of reason, which I think was Jack's role initially. Yeah, exactly. I mean, all through the first five seasons, he was Mr. Science. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and it seems like, to me anyway... Locke is sort of turning into Ben, not completely evil like Ben, but he's getting a little overconfident. And and I think eventually he's he's going to not lead them in the direction that they need to go and probably get himself bounced off the island just like Ben. That's interesting. I can see that. Yes. You know, Locke is like Ben in the sense that he has all the information and everybody else is wandering around like, how do you know that? Right. But he also is so confident that he doesn't see where the flaws might be. He doesn't see um, how things might go wrong. And we did, like as I mentioned, you know, Albert was undermining Ben during his period of leadership because because he felt that Ben was starting to get distracted from the things that matter. And I wonder if that's actually what's happening with Locke, that he's straying off the path, that in fact his mind will be blown when he gets to Jacob because all of his assumptions will be proven to be wrong. The question is, and we had asked this 
earlier, can we take another fall for Locke? You know, can we see Locke os- oscillate one more time from the guy in charge to the complete and pathetic loser? I don't know. I, I hope not, because I like this Locke. I like the brash, confident, cool as a cucumber Locke. You know, somebody on the island needs to be <laughs> that sure of himself. <laughs> I know, but they've also dropped hints in this episode when, you know, even Albert, who we, I think at this point, have to, whether we don't know who he's aligned with or not, we have to give Albert a great deal of uh, authority on what is a good thing or a bad thing or what's going on. He's like, I don't know about this new John Locke. You're, you, something's different about you. Yeah, he's so, clearly kind of disturbed. I mean, is Locke Locke? Is the Locke we're seeing, you know, ever since he's come back from the dead, there's been suspicions that he's actually not himself. I mean, we've seen we've seen Alex come back to throw Ben around. We've seen uh, Christian Shepard to help people move around. So is Locke in that same boat? I haven't thought about that, but I don't see why not. You mean he he might be inhabited by whatever is inhabiting Christian Shepherd? Right. He's uh, he's a, he's now a puppet, or he's a he's I don't want to say zombie, but he's something else. He's not <laughs> Locke. I mean, I I really wondered if that's what they were getting at with that uh, with that question. Sun seems to be turning into our good friend Michael. Oh too. my lord! Absolutely. I mean, that's what I thought. Uh, I I love Yoon Kim as an actress, but now she is being put into the one dimensional role. Where Where's is my, my husband? husband? Have you seen my husband? Have you seen my husband? Is that how I get back to my husband? I am with you if it'll get me back to my husband. I'm not leaving if there's a chance my husband is here. Exactly. It's not quite as annoying as what? <laughs> but it's starting to grate. So let's hope that if the finale does bring either resolution to their story, which could be a good or bad thing, or brings them back together, that that this particular single dimensional part of her life is over. It just bothers me because Eugene Kim deserves more than that. She's such a good actress. Absolutely. Now, there were a couple of recycled scenes in this episode, and usually they kind of annoy me because it's like, in a way, it's sort of filling space because we've seen this happen before. Exactly. But the, the one that opened the episode, which is Faraday marching into the camp and getting shot, you know, I'm like, Oh no, this is this is exactly what they're going to do. They're going to do what they did with Ben. The first time we see Ben get shot, he's shot in the middle of the chest and he's dead, but now we're going to see him get shot and he's still breathing. That they that's what they were going to do when we saw that. Right. But instead, I was happy to see that in fact almost to a grotesque sense, they went out of their way to say, "Yes, Faraday is dead. Look at his dead still body. Look at his glassy eyes." And in fact, I think the weak one of the weakest moments of this entire episode was when Eloise does the movie and TV oh, cliche I know. of putting the hand over the eye and I closing know. the eyes. But in, in any case, they did not use that as an excuse to bring um, Faraday back. And there's also the scene with Richard where we see Locke sending him to himself and my we Lord. see the bullet scene again. And that was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. I mean, I thought my mind was blown when we saw uh, the birth of Aaron from another perspective that they were in the jungle watching that. Or even the light coming from the hatch and Locke is seeing himself from a distance I thought that was really well done but for whatever reason whether it was gimmicky or not I I, I got a thrill out of that scene well actually it's kind of you know it's slowly um, just rebutting our theory that characters getting too close to other versions of themselves because i mean lot the two locks got pretty close together didn't they oh right absolutely so i mean and we've we've seen that miles can see himself and miles could probably change his own diaper i mean uh, (laughs) we've not seen characters contact each other so there are many that hold out the hope that that is the universe imploding kind of 
incident that might happen. Uh-huh. But certainly, we're we're way into the Back to the Future universe where you can concurrently run around and interact with things at the same time as yourself. Now, of course, uh, one of the big questions about that scene was that it now, when Albert came out of the jungle the first time we saw him, we thought, oh, so not only is Albert never aging and always on the island, but he knows exactly what's going on with all this time traveling, right? He's right. fully in the know. He knows everything about the island. Now we realize he only knew that Locke was going to be there because Locke told him. Right. And in fact, he's kind of perplexed about what the heck is going on. He went through with what Locke told him to do, but he's none the wiser about what the heck is going on. So I thought that was kind of an interesting way, if you want to talk about undermining, kind of undermining his uh, his full knowledge or omnipotence about the island. Yeah, exactly. Everything he's found out about the time travel and, and everything, he's learned from Locke. I mean, he knew when Locke was going to be born. Right. So that's he's right. not quite as all-knowing and omniscient as i previously thought yeah that's an excellent point he he we, he doesn't show up because he knew Locke was going to be there he only knew Locke was going to be born because he told him wow good stuff now um the 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 other key thing about that scene is that uh Locke gives albert the compass to give to himself which uh-huh. now when we discussed that scene back with the was that jughead or when was that episode when they're jumping all around i can't remember wherever that episode was we said in this podcast the problem with that is that if you follow this cycle to its conclusion you're going to have a planet covered in compasses Mm -hmm. it can't continue to replicate and be itself and be handed to one person in a cycle and my feeling is that they wrote that scene both because it was fun but also so that with that compass being handed back or back that now there's only one compass Right. So they just wanted to solve that possible paradox by doing that. So, so they've been swapping the same compass for infinity. I guess. I guess. Forever. So I like that. I mean, that makes better sense than trying to think about the compass much more. And in fact, someone does in the You All Everybody. So maybe we should leave it for that. Um, anything else really stood out for you in this episode? I'm really enjoying youngish Yellow- Eloise, the actress who plays her. Oh, absolutely. I, I think that's pretty dead on casting. She looks like her. She has her the same mannerisms. I think it's it's, you know, really good. I mean, when we saw the young Eloise, the 17-year-old Eloise, the hothead who was running around with the gun, I thought, I really believe that that character is the same old lady that's running around in the the future. Yeah. And now, with this character, I thought she was really well cast, and specifically, I thought that her performance was key, because she's the one that has to say pretty much some of the most ridiculous lines in the episode, which is, you know, this person came back, he said to bury the bomb, now he says he's my son, and how is this my handwriting? I mean, she has to ask the the key questions and she pulled it off i mean when her voice was cracking and she earnestly seemed to believe that faraday was her son and that she shot him i believed it so yeah so did i so far a great performance Uh, what's the actress's name alice evans alice evans so two thumbs up for her um but as far as her character i'm kind of curious as is saeed why is she helping jack why is why does she want to now participate in this bomb plan because she thinks that whatever jack manages to do will make his death not have to happen make her son's death not have to happen you know that seems to be what she's implying but uh, despite the fact that i just said that i believe that eloise's character does believe that faraday is her son she did just meet the guy so in in some way i'm wondering how 
how invested she can be in this invisible son or new son's survival that she would participate in what could otherwise be a gigantic cataclysmic event that would not just blow up the Dharma Initiative, which I think Saeed says is her plan by, you know, it's underneath Othersville, but also it would blow them up, I'm pretty sure. I mean, it would the, this bomb is not bad news just for the Dharma Initiative. So you think that's all she's after, getting rid of the Dharma Initiative? No, no, I mean, I, I don't think that's what it is. I, I guess you're right that she believes that it's her son she's trying to save but it does seem like and, a very fast turnaround and for her. It might not even be just her son. She realizes that a lot of bad stuff has happened and she's thinking that the detonation of Jughead will cause everything to be better. Not just her son not dying, but it might just change everything. Well, that's true. I mean, she is, her mind is already blown by the fact that Faraday was there when she was younger and this is all happening. So she just figures whatever's going on, this cannot be a good thing. I mean, this path of the universe probably has to be undone. And I, I guess I'll buy that. Well, a moment that I really liked was Eloise Hawking asking Jack, did you come here with this, this dead man? And, and Jack says, uh, yeah. And Kate just kind of looks at him like, what are you doing? The look on her face is priceless. Yeah. And it's just so weird that Jack is just not a kind of the, the kind of person to give up information that easily. And it's, it's kind of weird that he all of a sudden decided that he was going to tell her. Well, I mean, I think that's key in demonstrating that he's changed. But I mean, you're right. His modus operandi for as long as we've known him is to withhold information until the very last last minute, including, uh-huh. oh, by the way, we're not actually going to get Walt because Michael is actually ambushing all of us, you know? He holds on to information so closely, and here he does not even hesitate when Eloise asks him if he's with Faraday, and Kate rolls her eyes, and I, I just, yeah, that was a great moment. Uh, as far as great moments, though, really strong here, again, was the Sawyer and Juliet scenes. Yeah, they are so believable as a couple. I mean, you, you would th- have thought last season it would never have worked between them because they're so different, but I thought just they're their conversations and the way they look at each other it's it's very realistic i just love that it's the most unexpected unlikely and most weirdly introduced coupling in the entire series and yet it's just got the most heart the most depth the most genuineness to it um the scene on the dock where he's apologizing and i'm sorry we should have gotten on the sub uh, submarine and she says oh i'm glad you did and then the whole thing about microsoft and the cowboys in 78 uh-huh. just great stuff and right down to the i love you i love you back scene in the submarine and then Kate shows up <laughs> and I swear to God when that happened I expected to hear the kind of wah, wah, wah. or a needle or, scratch yeah. I mean it was so cartoonish it was I mean, it was it wasn't a holy heck moment it was almost ridiculous the way that played out I mean I know Kate just we just saw her sort of scramble out out, out of where she was with the others but she manages to get back to the othersville very fast get caught very fast I mean what happened to mrs. tracker and get hauled out to the submarine to be dropped in right at that moment I How know can that be I know that was a little it was a little contrived yeah I mean we're basically it looks like we're not going to get out of this season for uh you know, without more love triangle stuff going I on. I know. I just want this stuff to be over already. The love octagon. <laughs> Paralovagram. Paralovagram. That's right. That's right. But she's being very, she's being unusually assertive. Otherwise, Kate, yeah. yes. Actually, I mean, you know, I thought her flashbacks episode this season was one of her best. And apart from that moment when she drops in the sub and goes, Hey, um, I thought she was a good character in this episode. Somebody well, I needed she was, to smack Jack around. I know, but I thought she was being a complete jerk about it. You know, no, really? just the whole the line about since when is atom bombs and shooting kids okay? I love that line. I, I thought that was great. I thought it was ridiculous coming from her. Why? 
because she killed her dad oh, and okay. she killed her friend and and who by the way had a wife and child okay i mean i just thought that whole line was really kind of ridiculous well one her. i mean we think we were supposed to believe that all of our characters have evolved somewhat and the kate of now is not the kate that did these things to her dad also i would say on a matter of scale blowing up in a, a likely abusive dad is not in the same category as shooting a yeah. small child who hasn't yeah. actually done anything bad. But anyway, uh, I, K- Kate did not annoy me, except again, and this is the perfect example of it's not Kate, the character that annoys me. It's what the writers do to her. Yeah, exactly. This is a perfect example of that. Um, and here's a question. Sawyer's getting on the sub. Now, is he leaving everyone behind? Is he doing the same thing he's done before? Like, I'm watching out for myself. I made this deal so we can escape and, and to heck with everybody else. I I don't know what he's up to, frankly. Well, I mean, I guess when they had that conversation in the house, and he says you're either with us or you're going to go with Jack, so he says they've made their their they've made their bed and they're going to have to to lie in it. But I thought thought it was fascinating that they specifically wrote Hurley saying, you know, what how are we going to rescue Sawyer? You know, how are we going to help them? But it doesn't seem to enter into Sawyer's mind about the people that he's left behind. I just That's thought that true. was kind of an interesting move, especially because Sire is the guy who said, you know, what are you doing? Well, I'm surviving. Right. Yeah, exactly. But speaking of horrible people, Radzinski is vile. Oh, man. What a jerk. What a mean dude. He's horrible. I I would pay money to see a scene of him blowing his own head off in the swan. He's yeah. horrible. Well, if anything, at least we know where Rodzinski's path ends, unless they've changed the future. But yeah, he's a stain on the on the scene of the ceiling of the swan. But what I found fascinating is he came out of nowhere from the snively weird comic book guy trying to build a model of the swan to this is how he stages a coup. I'm in charge now. I mean that's Horace. all it took. What is up with Horace? Why is he being so spineless? Well, I mean, obviously Horace is not of the militaristic or aggressive bent. He is He's certainly hippie. the hippie Dharma initiative model. But the fact that Radzinski is in charge by virtue of saying, hey, I'm in charge. I If that's how hard it is to take over the Dharma initiative, I'm surprised anything like that hasn't happened before. So what it happened to, to Oldham? Come out of nowhere. Why didn't they just bring in Oldham? Instead of beating the heck out of Sawyer? Yeah. Because it's more dramatic to beat the heck out of Sawyer because Oldham was actually a terrible, a terrible plot contrivance to get information out of Saeed. I don't know. You really didn't like Oldham? Well, it's just that Oldham was somebody that you thought was, oh, no, he's our you. If he's their Sawyer, uh, Saeed, he should do what Saeed's going to do. And Saeed is not going to give you a funny pill. You yeah, know, that's Saeed's going to stick things under your fingernails. Uh-huh. So. But it's true. If that was effective, why in this case did they not go to that guy that we just saw to extract information that they needed? I have absolutely no idea. My favorite scene of the episode easily, though, is Dr. Chang's history quiz. Oh, that was hilarious. Yeah. Simply because Dr. Chang asks Hurley, who's the president, mm-hmm. and back in Namaste, Hurley specifically says to Sawyer, who's the president? And Sawyer says, it's not a damn quiz show. Yeah, you don't and, need that information. And here he is being asked who the that president is. That exact question. Yeah. I mean, when were you born? 1940, like, so you're 46 or something? Yes. The Korean War? It didn't happen. No such thing. <laughs> <laughs> really, really well done. Very funny. I mean, there were some, actually, there were a couple of, mo- that was one moment that I definitely remember laughing. The other one where I just, I thought was just priceless was when Locke is getting everybody to go to go see himself and he says Ben you should come with us and Ben goes well uh, you're afraid I'm going to stage a coup Um, and Locke says I'm not afraid of anything you could ever do 
And then Ben just kind of cocks his head and goes, well, then I'd love to come along. I mean, that complete sarcastic, you know, the fact that Ben, despite the fact that he's left in the position of not having information, that he's clearly the helpless one here, uh-huh. he still feels that superiority or that there's just that sense that he can still be snarky in that way. He, he I thought he did that up. really, really well. Absolutely. Um, and also there was a nickname, at least one, where Sawyer calls the guy in the submarine. Nemo. Nemo. Very good. Um, I, I do want to mention, though, there was a, a weak moment in this episode, and that had to have been the dramatic departure of the Galaga submarine. Oh, God. I mean... Okay, I, at first I thought, you know what? They should have just showed them in the sub and all of those preparations going on and then just assume that the sub is underway. Why did they have to give us that uh, Doom 3D level, you know, <laughs> 2005 computer graphic boat going out to sea and disappearing under the water? It looked so cheesy. It was worse than the like the toothpick, you know, freighter blowing up. They it, blew their budget on Smokey this season. I guess so. That, that, that submarine just looked a little goofy, but then... I thought at least one reason why they had to show the submarine depart is that we still don't know what the submarine does. And if the submarine actually functions as a submarine, you get put in the submarine, you get knocked out, and then when you arrive, you get pulled out. So a lot of people think that the submarine actually isn't a submarine. It's just sort of a a fake way to fake people out and thinking that's how they're getting there. So I think they had to show, as best they could, the submarine disappearing into the water. So at least we now know that the submarine moves and that uh, there's clearly a fully, you know, it's a fully staffed submarine with submarine people doing submarine things, that it's not just a (laughs) little chamber that it's not just some mysterious black box yeah i guess that was the the way that they had to illustrate that um so that was our two cents and when we come back we'll hear from you all everybody john jacob jingleheimer lock his name is my name too i went to kill myself with Ben to help me out, found out I'm John Jacob Jingleheimer. Lock, na, 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 na. <laughs> we start things off with a musical call there on the, the Lost Line. <laughs> Love Thank the accompaniment. You. Absolutely. You got a little Casio thing going on. I got to say, it's been stuck in my head all week, so uh, I've been singing and driving my kids nuts. And your wife. Oh, really? Well, in any case, who we got to hear from next? Now we have calls from Danny, Wayne, and Yemeni. Hello, Ryan and Jen. This is Danny calling from the Midwest. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. I did want to make a couple specific comments on the two jaw-dropping moment, moments from the episode. Uh, first one being when Richard Alpert says that he's seen our losties in the 70s, he's seen them die. Um, I believe that what he perceives as them dying is, in fact, them being sent back to the future, back to 2007. So perhaps he sees an explosion. There's no evidence of bodies. He assumes that they are, are dead. And, in fact, they are back to 2007. Uh, Second one was when Locke says that he's going to kill Jacob. I believe that this is a good thing. I believe this is what Jacob wants. Uh, Going back to when uh, uh, Locke first met Jacob, Jacob said, help me. And I believe he's asking for a release from some type of half-life or some type of, of prison that he can only be freed from at death. So those are my two thoughts. I may not be the only one to have thought them, but uh, just wanted to weigh in on it. And uh, love what you love what you do. You're 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 great. Love the podcast. Look forward to it every week. 
and uh, I'll keep listening to you and keep watching Lost. Thanks a lot. Hi, this is Wayne from Dallas, and uh, I've been listening to your podcast. Really love it. My first time to call. Um, I just had a thought about Locke and him saying he's going to go kill Jacob, and I was doing a flashback to when uh, Locke really first heard Jacob speak when Ben took him to the cabin, and he heard that voice saying, he heard Jacob apparently saying, help me, and Ben didn't even hear it and acted surprised that Locke had heard anything and maybe even upset about it. And so clearly we're, we're led to believe that Jacob was trying to reach out to Locke and tell him to help him. And if Jacob is being you know, held captive somehow or in need of help, then obviously Richard and Ben and the other powers that be on the island are the ones that are kind of suppressing him. And so Locke knows that if he was to be honest with Ben and Richard and say, hey, I want to go help Jacob, he's in need somehow, then they wouldn't go along. But if he's supposing that they're hostile to Jacob now, then he knows he needs to play along. So why not say, I'm going to I'm going to kill Jacob, and then they might be, well, we kind of like that idea, and then when he gets there, lo and behold, he pulls the switch, and actually somehow he's planning to help help Jacob like Jacob asked him rather than kill him, and it's just a ruse to get them to play along and, and cooperate and get him to where Jacob is. Anyway, just my thoughts. Probably going to be proven all wrong in the finale, but love, love the podcast. Glad that I discovered it. Glad I'm going to have it the rest of the way for this series. Thanks. Bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Yemeni from Danville, California. First, um, I'm a first-time caller. Uh, I'm so happy to have found your podcast. I can't believe I didn't find it sooner. In any case, just call to comment on the last episode, follow the leader, uh, particularly about Jack. I'm confused as to what they're doing with Jack. Uh, the season started with him uh, deciding to not want to get involved in uh, letting things be. Um good example was not letting... Uh, ben die or not wanting to save Ben, I should say. Uh, but then now suddenly he wants to get involved and detonate a hydrogen bomb. So I'm not really sure what they're doing with, with Jack. Maybe I missed something. So love to get your comments on that. Um, also, uh, Jacob. Um, ben wants to kill Jacob. Maybe what he means is that there really is no Jacob, and uh, he's going to expose it for, for what it is, um, a myth perpetrated by, uh, by Ben, perhaps, uh, and Richard together, who knows, uh, just a theory. In any case, keep up the good work. Um, anyway, talk to you soon. Bye. Mahalo for those calls. So Danny's saying that what uh, Albert thought was their moment of death was really just a big yeah, smash. Yeah, I think so too. We thought that. But uh, that Jacob actually wants to be killed, that when he says, help me, he's trapped in limbo and wants to be released. What do you think? So th- that would mean that, that Albert and Ben are kind of keeping him hostage? Right, absolutely. And that's kind of what uh, Wayne from Dallas is also saying, and that if we, if uh, Albert and Ben are keeping uh, Jacob trapped, that they would be more likely to help Locke on his mission rather than if Locke said, I'm going to go help the guy that you've been keeping in jail. I know. Ben seems like he's really at the mercy of Jacob, you know? He's always deferring to Jacob's Jacob, Jacob's judgment. Right. I think that at least at the Ben level, at, at Ben's level, he seems to be still have a great deal of fear in his heart for Jacob. And that's why he stops cold on the beach when he says he's going to kill him. But, you know, maybe Albert uh, might know something that uh, that uh, Ben doesn't. But interesting thoughts. Possibly. And Yemeni from Danville just basically wants to know what's the deal with Jack. Now he's back and he's on a mission. I know. It's strange. Some kind of um, switch has been flipped. Mm-hmm. I don't really know what it is or what's caused it. Right. I think Daniel. 
Daniel being shot is as good as any other theory, but uh, I, I think we've been waiting for it. So one way or another, I like this Jack better than moping around Jack. Yeah, I but do too. But the, uh, there is no Jacob, that the killing of Jacob is, you know, lifting up the curtain and showing that there's nothing there. What do you think? That's my personal theory, that he's just going to expose Ben for some kind of fraud. Yeah, something about the way that he's been saying, you've never seen him and stuff. I think that might be what uh, Locke is up to. Although it'd be interesting if Locke turns out to be wrong. We've got calls now from Ellie, Judy, and Douglas. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Ellie from California. Um, long-time listener, first-time caller. I'm burning up with a fever, but also I have a burning, sinking feeling about the season finale after watching this last episode, Follow the Leader. I have a feeling that we're going to be in a situation where all the losties are going to be reunited or they'll be able to see each other and then everything's going to go white and we're not going to know what happened, whether it's the bomb being detonated or something that Locke does with Jacob in the cabin or whatever. But um, I have a feeling that we're in for a serious um, hiatus, head-banging adventure, wondering what happened. So anyway, love the podcast and looking forward to listening to your podcast. Hey, Ryan and Jen. This is Judy from Orange County, California. I've listened to your podcast forever. It's fabulous. Um, So glad you're back. First time I've ever called, though. I have a theory not necessarily pertaining to last night's episode, but I think it might be pertinent to the finale coming up. My take on the um, new group of people who keep asking what lies in the shadow of the statue is that they are the heirs of the Dharma Initiative who are reforming it and coming back to the island. And the significance of the question is to prove that they have a long enough history on the island to know what lay in the shadow of the statue when the statue was still whole before it was broken and we only saw the four-toed feet. So that's my crackpot theory. And can't wait to hear what you all thought about Follow the Leader. And I'm both excited about it and dreading the finale because I don't want to have to wait till 2010 to see the next episode. <laughs> Thanks. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen. Um, my dorkdom has reached such a level that I'm calling you. Um, my name's Douglas from New York, and I have a little bit of a theory that my sister demanded that I call you with. So young Daniel makes a comment that... He wants to make time. Um, Why would one make time? They'd make time so they can do more. How would you do more? You would want to be in two places at once. When in this world have we seen two things in one place? Um, Originally, this theory spawned from the bunny rabbit video of seeing two bunny rabbits, but the show is now getting you used to seeing two characters from different times in the same time space. Um, I think that back in Ann Arbor, Daniel figured out a way to harness this or untangle this so he could use it and come back more than once. So this allows for him to actually shoot the video of Dr. Chang uh, later after having been killed. How would he shoot the video? There has to be another Daniel. Um, That's it in a nutshell. Um, I hope all is well, and 
Take care of yourselves. Thanks for those calls. And Ellie has a kind of a terrifying prospect that they're going to basically not tell us what happens when there's a big, bright white flash. That wouldn't surprise me at all, but that's why I love the no, show. No, there's going to be rioting in the streets if there's not just some sort of peace about what's coming next. I mean, what that what that would be is the end of season one, where they build us up about the hatch. They build us up about the hatch, and what's then in the they hatch? open what's the in hatch. The hatch? And then you don't know. Yeah. They don't say anything. And I, I hope that that's not... I mean, that to me would be kind of cheap. I think that, that really that something has to blow our mind and it's not just flashing to white and we don't see anything else. Judy from Orange uh, County said that he thinks she thinks that the question is, you know, to prove that you're one of the Dharma Initiative and the statue is an old thing. So that's how you say, I have a long history here on the island. Right. I mean, I think that's what we're supposed to presume to some extent, except that the hostiles, the Richard Alpert and friends, are actually, I think, indigenous to the island. They came before the Dharma Initiative. I get the feeling that the Dharma Initiative were you know, colonizers, interlopers. I think if anybody has a tie to what lies in the shadow of the statue, it might be the others or the hostiles. Yeah. But if yeah. that's the case, then I don't know if the, how that would explain what Ilana's up to and where that tie might be coming from. Where did they go? Off the island. They're still on Alcatraz, might, you know, getting going around. We, we'll get back to them next week. And finally, Douglas, uh, or actually his sister, had this uh, theory that the way that the Comic-Con video can happen is that there's more than one Daniel running around. Um, sure. I mean, there's more than one lock running around, so I don't see why not. Yeah, I mean, I agree with his point that they're kind of getting us used to the idea that Miles can see himself, Locke can see himself, so this is all okay. Um, the only thing is, I think pretty much it's been demonstrated that the Comic-Con video was what they thought was going to be coming into the story, but it turns out they couldn't write it that way, that it's now just non-canon, non-timeline, you know, non and it's something we thought a little too much about well it really makes me feel ripped off in I that case yes i but it was a good video it's certainly what made comic-con worthwhile we now have calls from trip michelle and ann hey jen ryan it's trip from alabama and i've got a theory uh from the show last night uh, of all the leader Locke loves the island and therefore he loves jacob uh you know the island has uh you know pulled him out of a wheelchair and uh made him a, a regular walking person again and not only that, you know, uh, Locke was dead, and he brought him back to life. And uh, Jacob is the only, you know, Locke is the only person that Jacob talks to. You know, so there's all kinds of ways to show that, uh, you know, Locke loves the island. He's a man of, of faith. And, uh, you know, he'll do anything to protect the island, like, you know, blow up the submarines so nobody can leave, and he doesn't want to leave the island. But anyway, and I think what uh, Locke is doing is I think he's setting up Ben by telling Ben, you know, that now the mission is uh, I'm going to kill Jacob. You know, of course he doesn't want to kill Jacob uh, because, uh, you know, Jacob is everything. He's the island. So I think he's uh, manipulating Ben like Ben did with everybody else. And uh, I don't know what he's manipulating Ben to do. Uh, I can't figure that one out. But he's going to get Ben to do something. Uh, and that's my theory. Y'all have a great week. Love your podcast. Bye. Hi, guys. This is Michelle in New York. I uh, love the podcast. Um I was just reading over your um, episode notes, and something you said really um, struck me, that um, Locke might not actually be Locke. Um, you mentioned that Richard, you know, sent something different about him. Um, and it occurred to me that if Locke isn't Locke, and he's going to, uh, you know, kill Jacob, then maybe he's, you know, the thing that's inhabiting Locke is actually... Um, working for the reconstituted Dharma Initiative that we've been speculating about so much, um, and that his killing Jacob is part of the whole, you know, whatever's in the box, whatever's in the shadow of the statue, 
uh, plan to retake the island. Um, yeah, so I actually really enjoyed the episode, and uh, keep up the good work. Bye. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Anne from Layton, Utah. Um, I love Follow the Leader. Uh, it was a great way to set up the season finale, but it prompted uh, more questions than it answered. I suppose that's why it's a setup. Um, and what's going on with those other others on the other island? Um, is the answer to their riddle, what lies under the statue, Jughead? Um, now, Horace is the one who built the cabin and told Locke where to find it. So... Um, if Jacob was alive in the 70s, the incident affects Jacob so much that he's caught between life and death. And that's why Jacob asked Locke to help him. So Jacob actually wants Locke to, or Locke to kill him. So um, is Jacob's death a sacrifice that the island demands? And is Locke killing Jacob when Hurley sees that panicked eye through the cabin window? And is the cabin so hard to find because it's moving through time? Mahalo for those calls. So Tripp's saying that he's not going to kill Jacob because Jacob is the island and Locke loves the island. Locke loves the island, but he looked really determined. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that uh, Jacob, I, I like the possibility that Jacob is the benevolent force of the island, but I'm beginning to think that another way, and someone posted on our blog as well, that we, maybe Jacob is sort of like a parasite on the island or something that's not good for the island and is something that needs to be exterminated, that Locke is still, I agree, acting in the interest of the island, but that Jacob might be counter to that. So oh, possibly. That could be one way. Michelle in New York saying that Locke is, uh, well, basically zombie Locke, and what's controlled him is the same Dharma initiative reconstituted that's running Ilana and friends. Well, given the way that we've seen Christian act and the way, especially the way we've seen Claire act, mm -hmm. I mean, people have been speculating for a long time that Claire died during the, the blast at her house. And I, I don't know. I, I, I can't see why that wouldn't happen. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of places where you can say that these are reanimated uh, images or bodies of people that we know. Um, but, you know, I'm not sure if you can tie that to the reconstituted Dharma Initiative. Because to me, if that's what they are, then the Dharma Initiative is really kind of taking a scientific angle to this. The more man of science rather than the man of faith. So. And not as spiritual. Right, yeah. not so much. And from Utah finally says, uh, well, first of all, is what lies in the shadow of the statue Jughead? Possibly. I but where's the statue? That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, the statue and Jughead weren't probably there at the same time. I kind of like that thought, though, because it would be kind of awesome if at the end of the season finale, they think they're going to blow up Jughead, they push the button, nothing happens, then you hear the flash sound effect, and then they're in the present in 2007, and they open something up, and there's Jughead, and what their plan all along was to detonate the Jughead that did not detonate in, um, in uh, 1977, so... That could be one way to go. And my mind is officially twisted. Oh, my. And is Jacob's cabin hard to uh, see because it's moving through time? Absolutely. That's got to be what it is. And, it, it, you know, it's behaving a lot of ways and a lot of the ways that the island Claire is was in there and Claire was acting really weird. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> all right. And she also agrees with, I think, our first caller, Danny, that uh, Locke just, um, that Jacob just wants to be released from death. And uh, our next calls are from Emily, KC, and Anthony. Hey, Ryan and Jen, this is Emily in Colorado, and all I have to say, I have one thing to say. We're off to see the wizard, the wonderful wizard of Lost. It's like all that was going through my head when they were like trompsing across the island there. So who will be the man behind the curtain? Is Jacob really the great and powerful wizard of Lost? Does he exist? Who is he? And 
how does one kill the wizard? I love the scene where Locke was leading all of his little munchkin others across the island to the music. He has his tin man, his scarecrow, his cowardly lion. So, well, you know how I love these Oz references, so I had to call. It's my first time calling, obviously, because I just I couldn't I couldn't hold back. Um it was an excellent episode. Take care, you guys. And a shout-out to uh, to Knives and Connie and Rich and Cleveland and the rest of you guys. I love reading all your posts. It's a lot of fun. All right. Take care. Hi. Yeah, this is Casey from Chicago. On the matter of the future Islanders, I think the finale is going to probably give us the answer to kind of what Jacob's all about and maybe why Richard is so old. I think I think Jacob is still a good guy. And he might be clearing up a lot of the ambiguity we've got about how the others operate. So, and a lot of people are going to be saying he's evil. I know, but if anyone here is evil or bad, it's probably Christian Shepherd. He's the one who made Ben Locke turn the wheel, which triggered a lot of events that were that we now know Dan and his mom said were not supposed to happen. Is not destiny, as everyone's been saying. Um, and I'd like to also hold to the idea that. Uh, Richard is so old simply because Isla needs him to be there um, in his advisor role. Going off that logic, I don't think Richard has bad intentions, and neither do the others. There was all that talk in Ben's flashback episode about what the island wants, and I doubt they lost sight of that so fast. Yeah, and that one last thing, that cabin might be a bit crowded. Maybe uh, Claire will join the party finally. All right, that's all i got to say. Bye. Hey, Ryan and Jen, this is Anthony, Anthony from Philly calling. Two thoughts now. Thought one, Jack needs to open up Sparity's journal because he hasn't done it yet, and he needs to read it because he hasn't done it yet, and he needs to really reevaluate exactly what he plans to do with possibly the biggest, most deadliest weapon you can find anywhere on Earth. Because he's only trying to wipe away his own problems, his own sadness, and his own, like, mistakes. He's not realizing that most of the people that, that came on the crash, their lives were bettered. Like, Rose would have, would have died from cancer. Kate would have went to jail. Sawyer would have probably been, been murdered or hunted down by, by the con artist that, that he was his work that he owed money to. All that kind of stuff. Like, it, it just so much would have, been, would have been ruined if he landed that plane. The second thought is that if you look at, at New Otherden or Dharmaville, it's, it's built right inside of a huge crater. Now, if you think about what creates craters, there's either meteors, asteroids, or whatever, or huge explosions, like bombs, like hydrogen bombs. I don't know. That's my thoughts. I'm kind of out there right now, so sorry this call is very long. See you later, guys. Thanks for those calls. Wow, a second musical call here on the Lost Line. On the we have very mission. talented listeners. Absolutely. So, yes, yeah, some Wizard of Oz references. They're certainly not subtle about them. Well, no, and there has been an entire episode... You know, called the, the man glass, behind the curtain man behind the curtain so um definitely not subtle and i think that uh, the the key question is is jacob a twerpy little guy who's actually not dangerous in any way possibly um i think ben really fits that description of- mm, that's i think in fact when these references first started coming up that was the person that we ascribed to that role but interesting interesting thought and i love the shout outs to all the blog posters as well emily is a longtime blog commenter glad that she not only got up the nerve to call but to uh, give us a little bit of a song emily there. is emily 
Actually, I think you're right. That's Emily. Hi, awesome. Emily. Well, good to hear her voice for once. Uh, Casey from Chicago, that Jacob's not the problem that we should be worried about. Christian Shepherd, he's the bad guy here. He doesn't really seem to be that nice a guy, so maybe <laughs> maybe he is evil. Well, I like the point that uh, he made J- uh, Locke turn the frozen donkey wheel, but didn't help him do it. And the frozen donkey wheel is what made everything go wonky. So that could be one way to look at it. But I think that Christian Shepherd is similar, as we've said, to Claire, to the mysterious uh, Jacob, that there's more similarity there than dissimilarities yeah. and they might be working in concert um, and that Richard is so old because the island needs him I think that could be it but I, that doesn't necessarily explain it because other people on the island have aged so I, I still don't know what his agelessness comes to and uh, maybe we'll have to wait to find out that in season 6. Finally Anthony from Philly saying that uh, you know Jack really has to rethink this this is a very destructive weapon and it's a heck of a thing to be wielding just because you feel bad about the way your life went. Oh I kind of sympathize with Jack because I think he's in so much pain that he really thinks that doing this is going to change the past. Right, but he's not the only one he's affecting. And, you know, that's, I think, really the key there. So I don't know. We'll see what he ends up doing. But I also liked his thought about what creates a crater that they've built Othersville in. And I guess a bomb could have done that. Yeah, very well. I'm not sure if that's a crater necessarily as maybe a large plateau or a valley. I, I have the screenshot in my head, but I can't really describe it. The other thing that he went on to say was the problem with that thought is that if they blew up Othersville with Jughead, why did they go ahead and rebuild it, you know, exactly the same with the same yellow cabins and the same nice walking paths and the swings? I mean, all of these things exist in 2007. Right. So why would they blow it up? And I think that was one of my thoughts as well. We now have calls for Matt, Shropshire Lad, and Michael. Ryan and Jen, my only, oh, this is Matt from Ohio, by the way. Um, my only problem with this episode, what I'm confused about is Richard Alpert acted as though he only knew them from the 70s and watch them die but in the first few seasons it seemed like the others knew everything about these castaways they knew their records they knew their relationships everything like that so ben and his people knew about it how could richard not know that's what i don't understand anyway love the podcast thanks Hi, Ryan and Jen. First time, long time. This is Shropshire Lad from Shropshire in England. You don't know where that is? Well, that's okay. Most people in England don't know where it is either. I'd just like to say, um, holy freaking crap. And I'd like to have a small bet with you that when Lost finally comes to an end, we're going to find out that, after all, Ben was the good guy. Love the podcast. Bye now. Hi, Ryan and Jen. This is Michael from Florida. I'm a first-time caller. I have a couple of questions. The first relates to Bach walking up to Richard on Follow the Leader and asking him if he still has the compass that he gave him. Bach then leads Richard to the plane, tells him what's going to happen and what he should do. Richard walks over to Locke, takes the bullet out, hands him the compass, and then Locke disappears. Richard walks back over to the present-day lock and has a conversation with him. At that point, does either of them have the compass in their pocket? It only exists and with the lock that disappears forward in time for a certain amount of time, and then the lock goes back and gives it to Richard in the 50s. But where is the compass after that? Does it not exist at all in, say, early 2009? 
because it only exists at certain points in time. Mahalo for those calls. So Matt's saying, why is Richard seemingly not familiar with all of our losties, given that back in the Dharma Initiative days, or actually in the 2004 crash period, there was these dossiers and files, and everybody seemed to know every detail about these characters? Well, the thing about Richard is I only I remember seeing him for the first time. I don't remember which episode. It was back in season three when Ben decided to trek all the others across the island. Mm-hmm. It was the first time I remember seeing him. And then I remember the whole period where we were getting acquainted with the others and we were in Othersville a lot. He was on, Nestor Carbonell was on Kane. Ah, yes, he was a rum runner in Florida. So in my mind, I can't come up with a time when he would have been around Othersville all that much. Yeah, and actually, I'm thinking also, we've been given the hint that he likes to be more native, you know, more outside of this domesticated world that Ben built. You know, kind of like that. So maybe he just didn't want to be a part of the... Actually, no, wait a minute. He was part of the big mechanism because we the, we also see him as a very well-dressed recruiter for... Uh, Middle-earth bioscience. Yeah, the, the scientific that he goes to get Juliet. So actually, he did play along, and he does have access to all these files. So if that was in 2004, maybe he's just playing dumb in 2007. I can't think... I think that's actually a very fair yeah, question. Yeah, that actually, yeah, that is a fair question. Finally, or not finally, Shropshire Lad there in the middle. I love the accent, especially when he says, holy freaking crap, and I'm not making fun of you. We love it. And of course, we know where Shropshire is it's uh, just, just outside, outside of Chino. Chino but in any case uh, he's saying that he thinks that in the end now he wants to make a bet with us Ben is the good guy I was really doubting that a lot at the beginning of the season but when we got to meet Alana and Bram and he's a pussycat compared to those guys. I mean, I guess we haven't seen too much out of them, but they're certainly more menacing in many ways. And uh, I kind of like the way Ben is now. Now that he's more hapless, he's not. He doesn't seem quite as dangerous as he used to. And finally, Michael tackling the really big, big headache question of this episode, which is what's the deal with the compass? And we discussed that to some extent. Right. But I think the key for his question is not just that this compass is going around and around, but that it doesn't have an origin anymore. We don't know where it actually started, and it, we don't know where it ends up. It might just be in this little circle and uh, on Wikipedia that's called an ontological paradox it's similar to a grandfather paradox but if you want a bigger headache you can go and read that but um, (laughs) it's true I mean they've solved the problem of having a million or infinite uh, compasses but now you have a compass that doesn't necessarily go anywhere and another key is that Alpert says it's a little rusty but it still points north which means that this compass is also aging so how can it continue through this loop without disintegrating and not being part of the story anymore yeah that's true Well, that's all of the calls we have time for, although we love all our calls and we listen to each one. Now let's move on to our emails and blog comments. Peter writes in an email, here's my prediction of the events sent in motion by Faraday. He has planted a strategy in the minds of the Losties. They will try to fulfill it. The leak at the swan will unfold somewhat as outlined. However, it won't be exactly as Faraday thought. But then the Losties, in the effort to fulfill Faraday's plan, will introduce the bomb into the situation and in so doing, they will actually cause the accident to fulfill as it originally did. They will bring fate to pass rather than change history. So, Peter, they're um, really going along with, I think, the most common theory or the most popular theory that we're still going to see whatever happened happen, that even if Jughead is introduced, that it only creates the situation that we know from the future. Right. I kind of like remi- remembering, though, that, it, that there was an incident at the Swan related to 
of the magnetic issues because right now Jughead is under Othersville. It's not where the Swan is, which is way out where the hostile territory is. Mm -hmm. So I think there could be something interesting still to be revealed about what happens at the Swan. Uh, Mindstage writes on the blog, uh, actually had the same thought that we just covered about John Locke, you know, not actually being there. Uh, Rich in Cleveland writes on the blog, Jack becomes Jacob. I have never been more certain of anything. Famous last words. We know Jack initiates the incident. Then there's probably some last minute complication with the bomb or with Kate that he naturally has to fix. And this displaces him from our dimension of time. Just as Ben and Widmore are perpetual adversaries, Locke's foil and the only one I can imagine him wanting to kill is Jack. We've seen Jack already attempted to do the same to Locke. Finally, there's the name. Could Jack just be a nickname for the more proper Jacob? Have we ever seen Jack's name on a driver's license or similar document? Perhaps John's reference to killing Jacob is merely a metaphor. He is only killing the myth so he can have absolute power. So what do you think? That Jacob might be a displaced by Jughead Jack? There are very few Jacks whose actual legal names are Jack. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that kind of similarity is certainly something to key on. And if it is a adversary to, you know, Jacob and his plan, or sorry, Locke and his plan for the island, it would almost be perfect if the person in that position has been Jack all of this time. That would be very interesting. It would certainly be difficult to explain, but I, I like that theory. Tom and Joyzy writes, I love the Richard Alpert lock compass time loop moment there. Very nifty concept. But the weird thing about it, aside from the infinite confusion of where, when the compass originated, it's the fact that they seem to be revealing to us that Alpert really does not know as much as we thought he did. When Locke was visited by Alpert in between flashes early in the season and he told Locke how to stop the flashes, it seemed like Richard knew a whole hell of a lot about the island and understood the time shifting business. Although he didn't seem to be experiencing it but now we see he's actually pretty clueless and Locke was just feeding him the information yeah we covered that during our discussion that um albert isn't all the all-knowing person because we've been seeing now how his how he comes by the information that he's been operating on so i'm not sure if i necessarily like that i kind of like the idea that albert was even something beyond human and um you know an immortal who's tied to the island and is an advisor to something that's more powerful than everything that we've seen but we're we are seeing that there's shortcomings in his knowledge and that uh, he might still be flawed or, you know, not complete in some way. Up until a couple of episodes ago, Richard really reminded me of that song, Sympathy for the Devil by the Rolling Stones. Mm, but, you know, again, now he's more human. It's yeah. not quite as mysterious. I kind of like that. Nuck and Futz writes on the blog, here's to the hope that Richard Alpert and Ben are not quite as clueless as they are acting. I don't think we've ever had a scene where Richard Alpert is present when Smokey is around. Perhaps Richard Alpert is the advisor of sorts to Smokey because, in fact, he is Smokey in its chosen human form. Thus, he never ages. Maybe there is more than one smoke monster, in fact. One dark, one light. Perhaps each can form into people who are dead, thus a specific count and proper handling of the bodies, as we've seen. Perhaps John, Christian, and some others are manifestations of this other creature, and now the two are about to clash. So what do you think? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, well, we haven't seen a white smoke monster moving around Well, back anything. in season one, when you first see the trees moving around, and everybody's really scared... Does he that look like Smokey? No. Well, it sounds like Smokey. I mean, we've been getting the sound effect more often than we've been able to see it. And I think the special effects budget probably has something to do with that. I mean, I, I find it fascinating that there might be two forces at work animating different characters and different bodies. But uh, I don't know. I think that might be just a little more, a little too complicated for me. I kind of like uh, the basic 
But I do like his initial thought that Richard Alpert might be what the smoke monster does when he's not being somebody else, when he's not being Alex and throwing Ben around. Mm. And that could work, you know, because the smoke monster has been around for a long time. So why not? And Richard is very mysterious. Absolutely. Stephen in Bathurst writes, Richard only thinks the Losties will die because whatever happens with the incident makes them disappear, which looks like they died. No doubt most of all of them will end up back in 2007, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of them end up further in the past, possibly around Black Rock or the statue period. Mm. I think this will happen because if we are to learn about those periods in time and there are to be flashbacks about them, then it makes sense to have characters we know there rather than having to introduce a whole lot of new characters into the show's final season. If this is the case, then perhaps Jack does go back and become Jacob. Jack is crucial to the show, and I think ultimately the show will end up centering around him. Whatever leadership role Locke has now is only temporary until the true leader, Jack, emerges. Well, I'm not sure if I like the idea that that they're going to be more time traveling and more people separated by time and maybe wandering around in Black Rock era and, you know, looking like swashbuckling pirates. But I do <laughs> like the fact, the thought that, the you know, we just talked about Jacob being Jack. Maybe Jacob has been Jack since way back when because this Jack that we're seeing about to send up the bomb, set up the bomb, set us up the bomb, is the one that's going to get blown back into time like that. And he is the very first person we ever saw. Absolutely. I mean, you know, we've been talking a lot about the opening scene of this uh, of the entire series with Jack on his back. Why is he separated? What's that black thing by his head? And I was shocked that this season that they recreated that moment for him when Ajira 316 came right. by. But, you know, maybe again, I think there's no small reason why he's been so key to this show. And for him to be Jacob would, I think, kind of fulfill that to some extent. Finally, Elliot on the blog writes, I thought that the Miles Dr. Chang moment was pivotal for two reasons. Clearly, it answers the the question of why Miles's mom left and answered another daddy issue storyline, but it also shows us that Dr. Chang actually defects from the Dharma Initiative flunkies to protect the Dharma women and children and was on the island for a noble purpose, or science. It also proves that at least one Dharma video with the one-armed Chang was made after the incident and after Chang evacuated the island. Thus, why did Chang make the videos and who were they intended for if not Dharma people? The Flight A-15 Survivor circa 2004? Well, Rudzinski is in charge at this point, and he's clearly countermanding Rudzinski. Or he doesn't want to play along, or at least he wants to evacuate everybody. I think that it's great that we're seeing that he kind of goes against the, that plan. But I, I think that in the end, um, Dr. Chang goes back to—I don't think he gets on the submarine, for one thing. I think no. that he goes back to help with the experiment at the Swan as badly as it's going to go, and he does lose his arm. And I think that uh, he still continues to make these orientation videos because, the, as far as we know, the Dharma Initiative does still continue beyond uh, 19. 77 but and moving it, on it to seems the like it's split in half between Radzinski and his minions and the scientists. Well, I think that there's certainly a change that uh, that we we definitely saw in this episode. Now that I think about it, from Dharma Initiative, the hippie peaceful commune, to Dharma Initiative, the possible warring, you know, research weaponry sort of side mm -hmm. to the to this entire uh, operation. So I think that was key. But no, I don't think that uh, Chang made it made those orientation videos for our survivors. I think no. that he that, that again the Dharma Initiative perpetuated beyond 1977. And if you believe that whatever happened happened, then the uh, then Jughead can't possibly obliterate the island because all of this stuff happened in the 80s, for example. Correct. In any case, very good thoughts. We love all of our comments, almost 200 comments on the blog already, and the conversation always continues, even when the next episode airs. So please come by and check it out. We love to hear from you. So right after the season finale airs on Wednesday, please leave a comment on the blog at hawaiiup.com slash lost. Give us a call at 808-356-0127 or 
drop us an email at lost at hawaiiup.com. Well, we've heard your thoughts, you've heard our thoughts, and I guess now it's time to step into briefly the forward cabin. This is where we hide production news, rumors, spoilers, previews, and all that fun stuff. So if you don't want to know, you might want to skip ahead. All righty, Jen, what did the ABC announcer say is coming up next week on the two-hour finale of Lost? Kate says, <laughs> Jack has a bomb that can kill everyone on the island. We have to stop him. Jack says, being here is our destiny. But Sawyer says, I don't speak destiny. Ooh, Frank asks, what's in the box? <laughs> so, Julia tells Sawyer, I saw you look at her. But Sawyer says, I'm with you. We see Jack firing a gun into Othersville. Alpert says, there can only be one leader on the island. And we see him swing a sledgehammer into the wall of the cave. And Jack asks Kate, are you with me on this? And I thought that Jack had the answer to that question, and although I also thought that Kate was on the submarine, so yeah. clearly they all get back together, and there's still an opportunity for Jack to change Kate's mind. Oh, wow. I mean, I'm not even going to read the synopsis this week. We read it five times, and frankly, it doesn't tell us anything. But what do you think we're going to see in the season finale? We've talked about some of the filming and the, that, that Well, actor... apparently Mark Pellegrino from Dexter is going to be mm. in the season finale. And a lot of people believe that he's Jacob, and uh, there were the scenes that we reported on him right. turning up at Sun and Jin's wedding. Sawyer's uh, parents' funeral. Mm -hmm. uh, Locke falls out of the building. Uh, Saeed's uh, girlfriend, or sorry, wife Nadia is killed. So why why are these pivotal events and other characters being revisited? I'm, I'm wondering if we're either going to see Jacob uh, was key in getting everybody to end up on the island, or what's going to happen is Jacob is, because of what Locke is trying to do, going to go back somehow and try to undo everything in their mm. lives and stop them from being on Flight 815 in the first place. Very cool. And I guess we may or may not also see a mysterious loom and a weaving. But <laughs> that was an interesting uh, feedback from someone who was visiting. So we shall see what is coming up in the two-hour season finale. Of course, before that, there's going to be another one-hour recap clip show, which, Yay. of course, we'll watch. I mean, come on. Three of hours of Lost. There are worse things to do with your evening. So I know you're excited about it. We're excited about it. And uh, we just have to come back and talk about it when it's over. So please join that last conversation of the season. And I guess this is our last forward cabin, unless uh, next week we just talk about what's coming up during the hiatus but in any case that means that's it for this episode of the transmission but we will be back next week for the big finale the last episode of season five it's on may 13th and it's entitled the incident remember the transmission is powered by you so please let us know what you thought you can leave a comment on our blog at whatyup.com slash lost you can call the lost line at 808-356-0127 or send us an email or actually send jen an email at lost at hawaiiup.com the transmission is available in both MP3 and enhanced AAC formats. So if you're listening and you don't want to hear the forward cabin, you can skip ahead. Exactly. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Here we go. We really enjoy doing the show and we really enjoy hearing from you. Stay lost, everybody. Aloha. This podcast is a proud member of the Lost Podcasting Network. Get all your favorite Lost podcasts in one feed at lostcasts.blogspot.com. <laughs>